Hello and welcome to Raw Fork Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Buxov, or just Dr. Book for short. I'm a community pharmacist and an herbalist dedicated to serving my clients in the best way that I know how. I'm bringing you this podcast to share with you like-minded pharmacists and herbalists that want to work alongside each other and share similar visions for patient care. Please enjoy the show. Greetings, my wonderful listeners. Please join me in welcoming my friend and fellow herbalist, Torin Murphy, to the show. You're in for a real treat with Torin's story about how he discovered the way to plants and healing. Torin has lived in many different parts of the globe before returning to his native New York and had many unique teachers along the way. He recently finished the clinical herbalist program at Arbor Vitae and is the founder and owner of his herbal business, Gnome Apothecary. Listening back to the episode, I realized we shared a lot of laughs throughout it. I hope you enjoyed the special recording as much as we enjoyed our chat. This call is now being recorded. Yep. There it is. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Torin Murphy. Welcome to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. All right. We have a lot in store today. Um, Torin, we met at um, Arbor Vitae, the School for Traditional Herbalism, and we completed a three-year herbal program there. So we're officially, I guess, clinical herbalists. <laughs> <laughs> by the power vested in Arbor Vitae. It's all very official now. But yeah, um, but you have a really interesting background. Um, you traveled the world, you did a lot of other things before coming uh, on this exact path that you're on. So why don't you give just a brief background for our listeners about, you know, yourself? Oh, boy. Um <laughs> <laughs> about myself well um i guess as far as like coming into the herbal thing that was something that only kind of crystallized for me um closer to going into arborvitae but i think when i talked to most herbalists it's something that they were kind of like studying in the background their whole life you know what i mean mm-hmm so I've always been into plants, um, and I've been into herbs since I was really little, but, you know, I didn't start using them medicinally until much later, but loved using them culinarily and loved to grow them and just enjoy being around them. Um, and then it was just kind of a natural evolution from there. Um, as far as background goes... Um, I mean, herbal medicine-wise, only really Arborvitae is what I could say as far as herbal medicine, um, formally. But I did get some sort of, like, interesting training from someone I lived with in Korea, um, which I use a lot in my practice, um, uh, sort of indirectly. I feel like I'm running around with an answer. <laughs> so good as long as we get there. <laughs> okay. 
maybe um, am I giving you specific enough or help me out? Um, yeah, I mean, where are you from? Which parts of the world have you lived in? Anything oh, okay. you want to share from Korea or the, the things you learned there? Okay. Yeah, so I'm I'm born and raised in New York, um, but I, you know, in and around the city, I lived um, on Long Island most of my life. Um, and then I lived upstate and back in Long Island and then a little bit in the city and then back upstate and then back in the city. Um, I lived abroad for a few years. Um, after I graduated college, I sort of, uh, mastered the art of being broke and, um, sort of working as I go. So I lived in Australia for a while and then I lived in, uh, I bounced around Asia and I lived in Southeast Asia for a little while, different parts in Vietnam and Thailand and Cambodia, Laos, and then I sort of wound up in South Korea, which was my ultimate plan. And then I stayed there, um, I guess about a year and a half I was in South Korea. And uh, then I moved back to the States. I moved, I lived in Louisiana, uh, in New Orleans. And then I moved back to New York in the city. And I just recently moved up to Beacon, New York, only a few weeks ago. So, yeah. Wow, really cool. Yeah, thanks. So what kind of jobs would you do when... You know, how did you support yourself through all these travels? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, now I'm like, hmm, what, what am I comfortable talking about? <laughs> um, a lot of things. Um, but I guess probably the more, like, uh, kosher jobs, um where, you know, I worked on a boat for a while in Australia, and uh, I worked delivering boats to basically, like, they'd build them up in cans in Australia, and then they'd sail them down to Sydney or wherever they were going. Australia's a pretty big place. It's, like, three-quarters the size of the U.S., you know? So yeah. they'd, they just sail these boats. It's a giant island, of course, right? So... They just sail these boats wherever they need to take them after they manufacture them. So I did that for a while, and then I also worked as a cook on a boat um, in Australia, um, which was kind of a weird situation how that happened. Um, and then I, yeah, that boat was like a little, they were retired uh, maxi yachts, they called them, which were like retired racing boats that basically were meant for crews of, like, 21 that they'd rigged up to have, like, three or four-person crews, and then they'd sell the rest of the cabin space to backpackers and, you know, tourists. And they t I'd take them out to, like, you know, with the crews, of course, to, like, the Whitsunday Islands and Airlie Beach, um, which is a beautiful place if you ever get to go there. Like, amazing place. Um, and then... Uh, I was teaching English also in Australia. Uh, my friend had started a school, um, an ESL school in Australia. 
so I sort of wound up in Sydney, and uh, he was teaching English there at this school that he had founded, and he sort of took me on. I have a degree in English literature, which is not anything like English as a second language. Wow. Um, yeah, so, but, you know, I, I kind of fudged my way through that, and I ended up teaching predominantly Koreans in the school, and I realized that I really just fell in love with their culture and their food, and, you know, I just learned a lot about the language and that kind of thing, and it became like almost like I was learning Korean while I was uh, teaching English. Um, so then I ultimately was like, wow, I should just go do this in Korea because all my students would be like, oh, if you ever come to Korea, you know, look me up and you can stay with me and um, this and that. I made a lot of friends, you know. So then when I was going to go to Korea, uh, I went first to Thailand and then I went on like a couple of sort of, you know, trips outside of Thailand uh, I'm sorry, outside of Bangkok, and then there was a coup at the time. And, oh, um, yeah, and obviously that was not part of the plan. So basically that started to get more and more violent, and I sort of um, went north, and the coup spread north. So then I went into Laos, and I was like, I'm just going to hang here until it's over, and then it ended up not being over anytime soon, and they closed down the airport. The military took over the airport. So then I was like, oh, I'll just go to Vietnam, Cambodia, whatever. And by the time I finally got back to Thailand, basically I just did a giant circle around, you know, east and south and then back around. And um, then eventually I flew to South Korea, except for uh, by, that, by then most of the money I'd had saved, which was not much to begin with, was pretty much gone. Um, so I, I, I worked in a few restaurants here and there, uh, when I lived in Thailand, like there was this place, this awesome little town that's, uh, west of Bangkok called Kenchanaburi. And I'm, I made a good friend there who, uh, owns a restaurant. So he let me learn how to cook and serve in his restaurant with him. And, um, then when I went up in South Korea, I probably had like, I don't know, maybe 20 American dollars left. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I was actually, one of my students, uh, her boyfriend and I were close. And, you know, the three of us were close. So I kind of, you know, he, he told me, you could stay with me if you ever come. And I sort of looked him up and was like, hey, so do you mind if I stay with you? Uh, he was like, he was away, actually. He was... uh at a temple at the time for a few weeks, like a kind of a retreat type of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't know that his place would be, um, I, I thought it would be empty, but then his girlfriend, Hajin, who was taking me to his place to show me where it is, because if you don't know anything about, like, sort of like back streets in Seoul, you're never going to find the addresses that you're looking for, especially not speaking Korean. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and, you know, I was, like, not even marginally conversational. And so she took me there, and she's, like, you know, and she speaks English, and she was, like, did he tell you that his um, godfather is staying there? 
And I was like, his godfather. And she's like, yeah, I guess there's not really a translation for it, but he calls him his godfather. And um, there, that was actually the man that became one of my teachers. Um, we lived, he was away for weeks, so we just lived together for weeks, just me and this older gentleman who uh, we were both staying in his apartment, um, which was like on the top floor of this uh, cool little Korean uh, town. It's not as like glamorous as it sounds. It's not like penthouse suite. It's just like this little, basically like a shed that they put on top of a roof. Um, You know, it's like a cheaper, affordable space. So it was mm-hmm. like a tiny little like two room place that he and I shared for a few weeks and we really bonded and you know, he spoke better English than I spoke Korean. So we started kind of like communicating in what's called Conglish. Uh-huh. And um yeah, and he kind of taught me a lot of Korean and I taught him a lot of English and we yeah, it was like sort of some kind of kismet thing that I sort of um, I guess you could say he was, you know, he was a mentor. I, I sort of apprenticed with him uh, some time after that for the rest of my stay in Korea. Um, yeah, so that's Korea. <laughs> so kind of an unusual, uh, not the typical, like, stay in Korea, but it, it turned out to be... Um, yeah, it was, it, you know, I, like I, I lived for a little bit like into the, the temple stays and kind of stuff like that. But I think my time with him was more insightful than any of those, to be honest. Wow. So I guess it yeah. was synchronicity. You were in the same place at the same time for a reason. Yeah. And and I really believe that, you know, and, and he and I discussed that and kind of how we we'd both been like, almost looking for each other in a way, you know? Interesting. So he was yeah. more like a life teacher? Uh, life Say that again. In a way? Oh. Like a life teacher? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to describe what he is. Um, he he lived, he, he was kind of like, almost like an ascetic monk, but not a monk. Um, mm-hmm. and so it was, it was very unusual. Like he had, you know, he had monks that would come to him, um, for advice and things like that. He, he wasn't an ascetic. Like he, he didn't like, you know, live out in the woods kind of thing, but basically just, he had a lot of friends and they would just show him their generosity and treat him like, you know, a father or just a family member. And they would let him you know, stay in their place when when he needed a place to stay, and sometimes people would lend him a car if he needed one. Or, but he was always very generous in return, and he, you know, he did whatever he could do to help them while he was in their home. And I would kind of just go with him, like I was just kind of like his plus one, you know. And we would stay in. Sometimes we'd stay in temples, so you know, what's called amja which Amja is like um, basically a tiny little, not quite a temple. There's not really a translation for it, but like a little house where monks live, usually like very rural. 
and um, it's only like maybe one or two people that live there. And there is a place for people to worship there in the Buddhist tradition. And um, so we would stay at different places like this, and we would stay at, you know, friends' homes. And we did a lot of traveling all over South Korea because, you know, he's something of a nomad, you know. So uh, I just kind of would go with him and have a window into his life. Wow. You know, he was kind of, kind of like a father figure to me. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, I feel like, and then yep. I feel like a lot of people wonder what it would be like to lead a nomadic lifestyle, mm-hmm. like that, like what you're describing. But you know, you have to be able to risk not having a place to stay, not having food to eat. You know, like so it's really yeah. great for the people that are actually able to sustain themselves with this kind of spontaneous unplanned, not a nine-to-five lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not easy, you know. It's, it's um, you know, there there was a time where I was, you know, like actually before that in Australia where I was kind of living, um, I mean, I'm choosing my words wisely here because I don't really know what to say, but I guess you could say homeless. I mean, I was just, uh, squatting, you know, things like that. And their living with him was definitely much different than that, but along the same vein, because he lived very much like a beggar, but people would offer him their charity, you know, and he wouldn't have to, usually, like, didn't have to ask for it. People would just always offer it. People were very friendly to him. And he, yeah, like, having... Having, you know, you're living out of a bag or something like that is both very liberating and kind of, like, scary at the same time, you know? Absolutely, yeah, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Or different sides of the same coin, I think, yeah. Yeah, like, it's, like, the minimal thing, you know, like, you really have to kind of, if something is going to join the team that is your bag, it's, like, it better really make the cut. You know what I mean? It's got to have, right. like, some serious function. And some things were just purely sentimental, and it was like, in order to carry them, they had to have so much meaning. Um, right. But then I started to really, it started to teach me that experience in and of itself, because even carrying these things that I was so attached to made me feel like, well, why am I even carrying them if they're just weight, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'd I'd kind of, like, give a lot of things like that away. And then sometimes I regretted it. Like, it was hard to give away, but it was almost like the more attached to it I was, the more inclined I felt to give it away. Mm-hmm. Something of an exercise, maybe, you know? Yeah. But then here I am, you know, now living back in the States, and I I have an apartment, you know? So... Well, I guess I'm cool. <laughs> and but you've upgraded to a house, right? Recently? Not yet. Um, Not yet. So the plan right now, I mean, um, I'm trying to. I live with my my girlfriend, and I we have an apartment in Beacon now. But we're hoping that we we wanted to try to save as much as possible 
um, which of course is always challenging for anyone. Um, you know, she's in between jobs right now and whatever, and you know, commuting is expensive uh, from upstate. But we wanted to kind of get to know the area and the nuances of the place before we put a deposit down on a, on a property. So right now I'm still kind of um, in between. Like I haven't haven't put anything permanent down, and that's a scary thing too. Oddly enough, like you know, I really want to grow roots because I've been such a tumbleweed, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> but uh, I I feel sometimes like I've I've talked to my girlfriend about how I, I very often feel like there's this gypsy and the gardener inside of me and they're kind of at war with each other. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm trying to let the gardener win now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always thought this is so interesting because this gives me a greater insight to you even though I consider us friends I haven't ever heard like the detailed version of your life story like this so thank you so yeah. much for sharing um, but yeah. I always thought that You're you were laughing. doing like landscaping jobs like yeah. forever yeah I've worked oh my gosh I've worked so many jobs like I've uh, one of my good friends and I recently we were talking about it and he was like how many jobs have you worked and we actually like counted, and I, I couldn't. We lost count. It was like somewhere over thirty. Um, but yeah, probably the reason you're thinking that is because you know, like in Arborvitae, we're usually in a plant context, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, like I mean, before um, before Arborvitae, I before I was even traveling actually at all, um, I was working. First, I was working for Cornell. So, so like I said, my background is, is not at all in horticulture, professionally, mm-hmm. um, as far as my education, I should say. Right, because um, you're English lit. Right. <laughs> and like creative <laughs> writing minor, you know, it was like a basket weaving degree. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah, yeah. Um, but then... I, you know, I've always been into plants because I grew up in a very, like, gardening and plant-forward family. And um, so I started working for, right out of college, I started working for um, Cornell, uh, doing agricultural research at their cooperative extension in Highland, New York. Um, And, you know, that was a job as a research technician. And I basically, the lead horticulturist there, I basically just, was lucky enough to convince him that what I don't know, I'll learn. And he took a chance on me, you know. And then after that, um, I moved back to the city. um, And I worked at a place called Wave Hill, which is this really just, if you have never been there, like it's like one of the most, maybe the most gorgeous, I, I mean, hands down in the city anyway the most beautiful garden in New York City. And it's located right on the um, on the river, and you're just overlooking, you know, the George Washington Bridge is in view, like way off in the distance, and you're overlooking the Palisade Mountains in Jersey, and you're just right on the water, and it's like 28 acres right on the water. And uh, you don't even, it's on a, 
raptor migration route too. So you get these beautiful birds of prey that pass through and you never even know you're in the Bronx, you know. And wow. so after course, I was working there because same situation, the the lead horticulturist there took a chance on me and I was, you know, I've been very lucky and he was uh, willing to just like, same thing, like what I don't know, I'll learn. And I was, I was, you know, very fortunate. Like I was the youngest gardener there. So I was very humbled by, there is so much wisdom there, you know, and the gardeners that still work there today, they're just very knowledgeable. Um, there's seven gardeners on staff. And then they have, like, some interns as well. And um, then after that, I actually lost that job due to the economy crashing, which I guess was, like, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was 2008. And, I w- you know, they had to lay off all of the most recent people that they hired, so I was one of those. And, um, yeah, and they, they were actually very kind and, tried to take me back uh, a few months later, but I was in Bangkok at the time, and I was like, I'm in the middle of Thailand. Like, I I can't just come back, you know? So, yeah, that's... And then that's probably why you're thinking about that, because that's kind of most of the conversations you and I have talked about. And then when I first came back to New York in 16, um, I was working with a friend of mine... Uh, who has a landscaping, like he does like landscape architecture. And I met him through a friend from Wave Hill. And, um, you know, we stayed in touch. So then when I came back, I was like, hey, do you need any help right now? And, uh, you know, this is like 10 plus years later. And I started working with him just to kind of like make ends meet. And he's a very generous guy and very friendly. And uh, so, yeah, that's like primarily like rooftop gardening and, you know, people with money's backyards in the city. Um, and, um, yeah, that's kind of the extent of, like, the sort of landscaping and, like, plants, I think, that you're, that you're probably thinking of, Marina. Oh, interesting. Very nice. Mm-hmm. So, um, so besides your role, I guess, I would consider your mentor in Korea a role model. Do you have any other role models that you uh, have worked with and, like, emulate their teaching style or what they represent? Oh, man, I more than I can count. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess I think of people that come to mind, like um, – I have a friend, a, a person, one of the gardeners from Wayne Hill, who I'm still friends with today, taught me a whole lot. I mean, all of them, but one in particular I really connected with, and um, he's actually a Punjabi guy, and uh, he's an amazing cook, and he taught me so much about uh, just, just even like Punjabi cuisine and using the plants in, you know, just like the way that Indian people use plants in their food is just a totally different perspective than, you know, what what most Americans are familiar with and mm-hmm. just putting that love into the food. And I think that's a huge part of it, you know, that people lose is like 
the it's the culinary aspect, you know. Not to mention he's uh, a fantastic gardener and like he knows more about plants than probably anyone I know. Um, so he taught me a whole bunch about growing plants in, you know, not really like the medicinal aspect, but he, you know, is very, the horticulture, you know, he's very pragmatic guy and, uh, he's just a, just really a prince of a guy. So he was a big mentor to me. Um, my dad, you know, is is a, he, I probably wouldn't be, doing anything with plants if it wasn't for my dad because he was and still is very into plants um, and gardening and just being outdoors and you know I was always fortunate to like even in the tiny spaces we lived we always had tons of plants around whether it was outside in places that had little yards with tons of flowers and and vegetables and inside tons of house plants so I learned a lot about you know getting to know like plant tendencies, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, and he, he was like a very, like, he, he's a very like natural way of speaking in, and that kind of, a lot of the sort of like little lessons he was bestowing on me as a kid, I didn't really, they didn't crystallize for me until much older, but yeah, there's so many, I mean, so many people I could name, but those are the, probably the ones that come to mind. Nice. Uh, in in this capacity, yeah. And then, of course, like, you know, um, at Arbor Vitae, you know, all the teachers we had there, and I could, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> right? That will be for the next podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, it sounds like you have incorporated a lot of your own life experience and like the cuisine and culture that you've come into contact with in your practice today because I know you really like fermented food so that must be like some Korean influence and spices and things like that yeah yeah like the uh the fermented foods I think is a hugely undervalued um aspect of medicine and yeah it's kind of in between like medicine and just like culinary but i Mm -hmm. think that's really what herbal medicine is right um i think that that kind of kind of really i've always been into fermentation (laughs) i don't know why (laughs) i love all things fermented and I I always, like, as long as I can remember, you know, it started with, like, things like kombucha and and ginger beer and stuff like that when I was younger. And then um, when I lived in Korea, like, the vast array that they eat of pickled things, like lacto-fermented foods, uh, or just, you know, brined or all kinds of, you know, kimchi and panchan and all the hundreds, well, literally hundreds of different kinds. You know, like most Americans, like when we say pickle, we think like cucumber, you know, whereas it's just a category. <laughs> um, and now I've been playing around more and more with like trying to merge the world of herbal medicine with the fermentation to really amp it up. 
Like I've been playing a, around a lot right now with um, wild yeast. So, you know, there's yeast everywhere. <laughs> we live right. in this, like, big yeasty world. And um, so, like, right now at home, I've, I just made a new batch of root beer, and I used the yeast from wild blueberries that I picked. Okay. Yeah, and I made a base of, like, hyssop uh, syrup and the wild blueberry yeast as the base for the root beer you know, classic root beer ingredients. Uh, and then I'm trying another one right now. I'm going to start experimenting with. I use wild wine berries that are growing right now. Mm-hmm. And, and um, some sassafras leaves. You know how much I love sassafras. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's also a <laughs> podcast, how much you love sassafras. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm playing around with that. Like, it's like a mint syrup with wine berry and sassafras. And I'm going to use that as a starter. The yeast that comes out of that, I'm going to use as, as a starter for another batch of root beer. I'm using root beer because I just, uh, it's a great, like, comparative project because you can see, like, how the yeast comes out in it as a control. And I mm-hmm. love root beer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Cool. So, Tell us yeah. about what you're currently doing for work um, yeah. and what your plan is for the future. Yeah, so right now uh, I'm working for a company in the city. Um, I'm Well, I'm, for them I'm doing consulting. So it's pretty much like they're a wellness company and um, they're – you know, primarily focused on, like, skin care, but kind of uniquely, at least in that demographic, that field, I guess you could say, you don't really see, like, wellness from the inside often incorporated. So mm-hmm. the company's cool. Yeah, like, they're pretty cool about incorporating, like, herbal remedies and um, things like that into it. So when they're making products, um which is it's it's different for me because you know they the products are a little more like pinky up than I'm used to <laughs> um but I, they I've been helping out with like it's my full-time job that I consult for them when they're um making and using any kind of botanicals or you know formulating for a tea that they're going to sell or like maybe a honey or um like, uh, you know, they have different bombs and rubs and all kinds of stuff that they sell. So I've kind of been helping out as part of product development team, as as the product development team. Um, but, yeah, and then I also, uh, they have a spa that they do massage and facial and now herbal consultations. So, for the past couple of years, I've been seeing clients here doing herbal consultations, you know, seeing clients clinically and then seeing clients on the side. Um, and then also I have my own little, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say business <laughs> okay. that, that I'm, I'm trying to grow that I call Noma Apothecary. And, um, so that's like getting more and more off the ground, but you know I'm trying very hard to uh, 
transition to where that's what I'm doing full time because that's really what my passion is, is like the alchemy and the the medicine making and the wild crafting. So it's a little tricky to balance, you know, keeping integrity of of the actual herbal products um, and still being able to make a living, you know. So I'm trying to kind of use that as like a supplementary income. And when I say supplementary, I'm being like, you know, very generous here. Like it's just a small portion of, uh, you know, of income. but it's it's something that eventually in time I would like to transition to a point where either it's a brick and mortar, you know, like an actual shop that people can come into. I mean, if I if I had my way, I'd love for it to be um, like a farm where I grow everything, you know, with it on the farm and process everything in the back and then sell things in the front. So everything is farm to bottle. I was going to say, yeah, it sounds like farm to table, but except farm yeah. to Right. Something else. The, the apothecary in version. Hopefully yeah, not as hipster. Apothecary. Yeah, hopefully not as hipster, but you, you get my meaning. Farm to counter. <laughs> or farm to counter, farm to bottle, whatever you want to say. But like, yeah, I would like to. So that's kind of like the the, the compromise for now has been that I I've, I've been working with local farmers, friends, you know, and whoever's growing medicine that is up to snuff, you know, that is just good quality, organic, like clean, you know, and uh, processing that stuff as well as a lot of wildcrafted material as well, whatever I can keep sustainably sourcing. And then I'm trying to, I use that with my clients and then I also like sell it, you know, online, uh, but it's, you know, it's pretty much just my clients coming to my website. Um, yeah, that's kind of where it's at. In the future, I'd like to see, you know, doing that full time and, uh, see where that takes it. Um, I just applied for the American Herbalist Guild as well. So I'm just waiting to hear back from them now and hopefully that will help to bring clients, you know, cause like getting access to clients is, sometimes challenging because people don't know a lot of times what an herbalist is, you know. And yeah, and if and, and where they exist. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's like, you know, I mean, you know this, like, you tell people you're an herbalist, they think you, like, the last time this happened, actually, funny enough, was uh, in a restaurant. I started talking to someone, and they asked what I do, and I told them I'm a clinical herbalist, and he started telling me about uh, like a cannabis grow that is nearby. Uh huh. I was like, okay, so <laughs> that's cool too. <laughs> so yeah, it's just kind of funny. But like with the, you know, with AHG, I'm hoping that, you know, if I get into that, um, that will help to like help me access clients and, and help you know, find each other. And then also I think it's really important to keep like the networking aspect and stay up to date and, you know, just the community, which, I, you know, as you know, is just 
so important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's kind of like, I guess, what I'm thinking, at least of as of this moment, uh, as far as what the future looks like. Doing more plant walks, getting more outside, you know? Yeah. Growing herbs. Growing more yeah. herbs. Yeah. Yeah. American Herbalist Guild definitely helps bring awareness to, like, what we do and what herbalism is all about. Because, like you said, a lot of people think herbs, you know, they know some culinary herbs maybe, and then the only other herb that people know is cannabis. Right. So so it's kind of like the gateway herb sometimes that gets people interested <laughs> in other herbs. <laughs> in right. That way. Because of, like, the power that it has, and then they start thinking, well, what other plants <clears throat> maybe have some kind of interesting qualities or properties? So in that way, it's pretty cool. And that reminds me, I definitely want to have a separate podcast where uh, we talk about that plant because I know you you have somewhat of an expertise in the plant. So um, so yeah, definitely next podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to talk about it. Um, All right, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. No, no, you after you. Okay, so um, we're after coming. You're going to the. What? Sorry, I'm on speakerphone, so there's a delay. Oh, no worries. Okay, so... I was just asking, are you going to the AHD conference this year? Oh, okay. Um, not, I haven't decided yet. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I am going to go. I just decided it um, recently, and my the company that I was just mentioning is kind enough that they're going to pay for it for me. So oh, that's so nice of them. Yeah, I know, and I'm so grateful, so I can't say no. I have to go. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. I missed the early bird deadline, but I'm still thinking about it. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, please do. Definitely let me know. All right. So we're coming to the end of the interview now, and I just wanted to ask you some last rapid-fire round questions, if you're up for it. Please. Yeah. So what's your advice? for people that are interested in studying herbal medicine or becoming practitioners or just learning more about plants? Hmm. Rapid fire. Yes, very rapid. Uh, <laughs> first thing that comes yeah. to mind. <laughs> well, I guess, like, first and foremost, you said as far as, like, wanting to be a practitioner uh, and study. Um, I, I mean, I, th- I would say first and foremost, read. You know, and like, I think, you know, it, it, number one, finding books by herbalists that are practicing and and studying that um, as opposed to just like anecdotal, you know, maybe, maybe it works for this and maybe it doesn't. But I think also setting intention is really huge um, as far as like, and I say this to people all the time that I, you know, are working with or maybe friends. But, like, it's the compass, you know. That's the way my mind thinks of it anyway, is, like, setting the compass. If you if you just go towards that direction, like, if you say, I want to do that, and, and something comes along that is closer to that than where you are now or the direction that you are going in, in my mind, that's recalibrating the compass, and that's turning the needle of the compass to set a new tone and a new direction as far as um, 
your what you want in the universe what you know and how you and the universe can hopefully help each other so i think that you know like anything that is going that way so in my mind how you do that is you start studying it so reading books and uh, of course if, if you if you can have access i mean we're fortunate enough to have you know the the internet which is how i found arbavidi um and just like whatever teachers you can learn from and even if it's not the right teacher from for you that you find at least it'll probably because your compass needle is now pointing that direction sooner or later it'll get you where you need to be i think and also you know you look back and i know at least me like i know looking back even some of the weirdest experiences that i've had that don't, that don't seem like they were part of anything larger i've realized that they definitely were and you know i wouldn't trade any of them because they've made me who i am you know even the ones that were really difficult and i think that it's just about yeah i guess that's not a rapid fire answer but like <laughs> i guess yeah like setting intention you know and like just taking risks and trusting in the uncertainty you know which is something i have to remind myself about all the time because that's not easy to do when you to trust in the unknown but yeah that's what i would say thank you that's really really good advice and another analogy that i thought of while you were saying that is whichever way the wind is blowing your sail so it's like as long as it's bringing you closer to your goal just follow it right yeah I I totally agree with that. Like, you know, sometimes we get into these situations in life where like I like to say swimming upstream and it's like a lot of times if it feels very upstream, like there's a difference between you know, sailing staying the course even when it's a rough course because the wind is blowing that way and like yeah, maybe it's just not the direction to go, you know? Like right, go with right. the flow. Another Absolutely. another analogy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, next question. What's the number one thing listeners can do to improve their quality of life right now? Wow. Um, meditate. Yeah, meditation. I mean, there's there's no one that doesn't stand to benefit from that, you know. And there's that, oh, gosh, I forget who said it. I cannot remember who said it, but um, it's basically like if you're too busy to meditate, then you need to meditate twice as long. Absolutely. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, and it's like that just really, really resonates with me because I find myself often, you know, like finding excuses not to. Um, but then when I do, I feel so much calmer and more collected and it is a muscle and it does require exercise to, to practice, you know, and it's quite frankly, it sucks in the beginning. It's hard and you feel exhausted and your mind is racing and you're like, why am I doing this? I'd rather just go, you know, do anything else than this, like, pick up the the smartphone or get on a computer or, you know, whatever, like anything. 
Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but once you really kind of like, even just a few minutes a day, like to set a timer, you know, just do like five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night every day. And you, you will notice if you stick with it, even just in a couple, like in a week or two, how those five minutes in the morning and at night are not the same as when you started. And they're much more fulfilling and, and deeper and something's happening, you know, or, or maybe it's more apt to say something's not happening. <laughs> Right. Slowing things down, you know? Yeah. Cool. Thank you. What's yeah. a hobby or pastime of yours? Hmm. Well, um, I consider myself a pretty creative person. Um, so I just like to do anything that makes me feel like I'm scratching that creative itch. And sometimes that's making music, uh, sometimes that's writing, which I'm starting to kind of get back into, um, I have these long train rides now, so I'm starting to <laughs> finally kind of pick the pen back up a little bit, you know. Um, I have this novel that I've been working on since I was a little kid, and it's just always kind of been this sort of like on and off relationship. Um, so now I'm kind of well, like allowing myself to see other people <laughs> and like, you know, write other things. Um, and yeah, and like, I even like, even herbal medicine, like making medicines and formulating and, uh, for clients and mm-hmm. just inject and ferments. You know, making new recipes, cooking. I love to cook. Um, those are the things probably that I spend the most time on. Hanging out with friends, you know. Well, I don't know that it's a hobby, but... <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Cool. It's a, it sounds like a very well-rounded person. Downtown well, and hobby. <laughs> some days more than others. Yeah. Well, I think I know the answer to this based on something you said earlier, but what is your favorite beverage? <laughs> oh, yeah, depends on the day. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, definitely depends on the day, but I love a good beer or any any ferment. Like, I love a good beer. I love a good, nice, like, Real, when I say real, I mean like, you know, natural ingredients, like a soft drink, like a good root beer, obviously, right? That's probably what you're thinking of. Um, <laughs> ginger beers, sarsaparillas. Yeah, but I love a good quality, like stout or sour beer. Um, I love a good glass of red wine. Yeah, those would probably be somewhere in there, depending on the day. Cool. And, and of course, tea. I love. Oh my gosh, I love tea. I'm drinking a a cup of pu'er tea as we're having this conversation. Oh wow! So coffee or tea, Torn? Again, depends on the day. But uh, <laughs> which is funny because like so many people are like, "What? You drink coffee? Get a picture of this kind of thing." Like somebody actually did that to me the other day. Like get a picture. Right. Like, holding- drinking coffee. What are you doing? <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Like a, some kind of massive hypocrite. But like, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't really feel bad about drinking coffee. Um, I don't do it every day. And, uh, I have like a sort of, you know, I, I think it really depends on the person and like, some days I love a good cup of coffee. Um, I have like a hard, I'm very sensitive to caffeine. So I have like a very hard cutoff at 3 p.m. Like I cannot have any caffeine after 2 to 3 p.m. depending on how strong it is. Because Great. I will be, yeah, I won't sleep that night. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. Then. <laughs> That answers my question. Thank you. And last question, how can people get in touch with you directly or learn more about what you do or the company you work for? Yeah. um, I would say probably the easiest thing to do would be to go on to my website, which is uh, www.gnomeapothecary.com. Um, and then you can just email me through there. Okay. Uh, Thank you so yeah. much. All right. So yeah. I'll have all the information and any additional information in the show notes. And uh, thank you again so much for your time. And, you know, let me know if you want me to include anything else for the listeners in the show notes. Thank you, Marina. I appreciate you encouraging me to do this. It was a lot of fun. I really yeah, it was. It. And I Thank think you. we have content for, like, two more podcasts after this, at least. Totally. And thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for being interested. Right. Take care, Soren. Talk to you soon. All right, Marina. Talk Bye. to you soon. Bye. As always, please send any questions, inquiries, requests to me. My email is marina at rawfork.com or just go on my website, rawfork.com. Leave me a note there. Thank you. And have a great week ahead.